Hi, and welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church Podcast. We want to thank you for joining us online and remind you to feel free to visit our website at seacoastvineyard.com anytime for up-to-date information on our local church here in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. If you would like to give financially to this ministry, whether that's a one-time gift or a recurring monthly gift, simply click on the Give tab at our website and give however God leads you. Now, we want you to enjoy this message from God's Word. You notice it's a little bit different in here. Our 6th through 12th grade student ministry has totally just jacked your service. It is our service now, and we're so excited for them. If you are in here and you're a 6th through 12th grader and you want to join us down front, we got special gifts for you. We're going to give you a t-shirt. We're going to give you um, a little goodie. We're going to, you just want to come hang out in the cool section, 6th through 12th grader. You can work your way down, even if you just want to slide like one seat at a time and like so no one knows you, but you can come down to our section. It's going to be awesome down here. You want to hang out and be a part. I'm so glad. If you're a first-time guest, you came on this Sunday and it's an awesome Sunday to come. We only do this once a year. It's the first time actually ever we got one. Yes. Woo. Man, rocks. You get a T-shirt. Get him a T-shirt. That's awesome. All right. Give me some starburst or something around there. Um, <laughs> my name is Chris. I'm the Family Life Pastor. If this is your first time here, you came on Student Takeover. It's our first Student Takeover ever at this church. So I'm, I'm just excited. I'm, I'm psyched up that we're getting to do this here. It's going to be a fun time. Now, uh, before we get started, let's go through some particulars. First off, if you are a first-time guest, you should have got a Connect card on your way in. Everybody probably got one in their bulletin. You can, ha- you can show it to me. Anybody got a Connect card? Someone hold one up so I'm not feeling lonely. Like I, oh, someone actually has one. Thank you. All right, Connect cards. We want you to fill that out. If you're a first-time guest, you're going to take that to the Blue Tents after service, and they have a special gift. They can't wait to meet you out there. Um, otherwise, the rest of you can drop it in to the offering basket as it comes around. Also, right after service, we would love to meet you. In fact, Pastor Doug right here with our students, he's going to be in the welcome room answering any questions you as a parent or grandparent or even you as a student might have about our student ministry here. If you want to meet and find out about more what our students are doing, he's going to be in the welcome room along with another pastor that will hang out in there and answer any general questions you might have about Seacoast Vineyard Church. We're so glad to have you. Now, if you would turn your attention to the screens for just a moment. Good morning and welcome to Seacoast Vineyard Church. My name is Richard Adu and I'm a member here. We're so glad you joined us for worship today. Everyone should have received an offering envelope. You can place your tithes and offerings in the basket later in the service, in the box at the back of the room or online at our website. For those of you with children, Vine Kids is available during the service and provides a fun environment with teaching just their size. The in-between is a weekly service for students from 6th to 12th grades, which takes place during the 11.30 service in the Seacoast Cafe. Starting on Thursday, September 18th, the Vineyard Student Ministry would launch its brand new weekly gathering called City to 7 in the Seacoast Cafe from 6.30 to 8 p.m. There will be food. It will be loud. And some serious crazy fun, like Blindfolded Food Ninja. Well, maybe not that crazy, but fun. All students 6th to 12th grade are invited to join us. Also on Thursday, September 18th, 
we will have our first ever Vineyard 201 class. It will be a six-week in-depth look at the values of Seacoast Vineyard. We encourage anyone who is serving or wants to serve and has completed Vineyard 101 or beginnings to register. If you haven't already done so, please silence your cell phones and enjoy the rest of the service. Yes, student takeover Sunday. So what we decided to do is we want to do a format a little bit different for our takeover. And um, we convinced, I'm going to use that word, convinced uh, or roped him into answering a few of our student questions. Pastor Tim and Pastor Doug have volunteered to come up on stage and don't take his seat, Doug. You can come up on stage right now. Come on, come on, come on. But don't take the white seat. That's for, that's for Pastor Tim. That's for Pastor Tim. Pastor Tim had a list of demands. He said, one, I need a big comfy chair. Two, I'm not going to hold a mic, so I have to have a lapel. And three, um, you have to give me a T-shirt that says Vineyard Students, even though I'm not quite sure what year you were in, 6th or 12th grade? I'm always a student. Okay, okay, okay. I wasn't going to guess either. But, um, but no, our students uh, a couple weeks ago wrote down a whole list of questions that they were dying to ask Pastor Tim, and, and Pastor Doug's going to help out too. And they just had all these questions that came to mind, and I said, Tim, they're going to ask you questions, and you have to answer them. That's how it's going to go, and, and your answers need to be very awesome. And he said, <laughs> okay. And, and so that's, that's where we're going to go with that. Um, so he has some awesome answers for our students, and we're just going to get started here, kind of interview format. I'm going to come out into the crowd, and hold on, what, what kind of question? Okay, I like that. We'll start with that one. That's kind of fun, too. A real easy one. Nothing, nothing too hard. Um, what's your name, big man? Hayden. Hayden. This is Hayden, everybody. Hayden's got a question for Pastor Tim and Pastor Doug. How can you share the Bible with someone who keeps shutting you out? How can you share the Bible Fair question. with someone who keeps shutting you out? Whew. All right. Tim always makes me go first. I think it's because I'm the, like, the rookie, so he wants to see how bad I do. I'm not sure. <laughs> um, but uh, how do you share the Bible with someone who keeps shutting out? It's a fair question. Um, the first thing I would say is stop sharing the Bible with them. Um, if they're not a believer, and oh, we need our fancy lamp here. All right. Um, so let's go back to the question. How do you, keep, how do you share the Bible with someone who keeps shutting you out? Uh, if you're trying to share the Bible with somebody who's not a believer, I always think of this this kind of word picture, okay? Imagine that we were all on a playground, okay? And uh, we're on this playground, and the people who are believers, who love Jesus and, and follow after him, uh, are playing basketball, right? And then on the other side of the playground, there are people who are playing soccer who are not believers, all right? Everybody following me so far? Just got basketball and soccer, all right? So uh, how weird would it be if I was playing basketball and I walked over to the soccer field and was like, guys, what are you doing? You cannot touch that ball with your feet. You got to pick it up with your hands and you got to throw it into the net. This is ridiculous. You guys, you can't do it this way. How weird and ridiculous does that sound? First of all, though, you don't know how to play soccer. But secondly, um, here's the deal. Uh, why you don't want to share the Bible with somebody who's not a Christian is because they don't, they're not playing by the same rules. But here's the deal. 
How do you get somebody you really care about to play basketball? You ask them to come play with you, right? So it's not about sharing the Bible with them, but it's actually about sharing the love of Christ with them. And then when they commit to Christ and they see the love of God inside of you, then they go, okay, well, what is this all about? Then you go to the Bible. Then you say, this is God's word to us. This is how we live our lives. Um, so I think your first, your first step or your first um, method or action when you're relating to someone um, is you just want to love them. You just want to be a part of their lives. Like if they're moving, you find out they're moving or something, say, hey, I'm going to go help you move. Or do you want to go out to lunch with me? Or, or whatever it is, you, you invest with your life first. Does that make sense? All right. That's my thought on it. Good Tim. answer, Doug. Thank you, Tim. I like it. As long as I can make Tim proud. <laughs> I, uh, back when I was first uh, a Christ follower, there was a little place uh, down here at the pavilion called the Little House where all the long-haired people and some motorcycle guys hung out and stuff back in the day. And uh, right after I became a Christian, I had this huge Bible. It was like about that thick. So I said, I'm going back to my kind and I'm going to share Jesus with them. And so there were picnic tables out around this place. And so I took my Bible and I stuck it on my knee underneath the picnic table. And this guy came over to me and his eyes were just bigger around. And he goes, hey, man, you want to drop some acid with me? <laughs> and you want to get high? And so I grabbed my Bible and I went, boom, like that. Slapped it down on the picnic table and said, yeah, let's get high. And he looked at me and went, dude, like that. And. I lost him because, you know, I mean, I lost him. It was, it's a funny story now, but I, I don't know ever what happened to that guy because I, it pushed him back away. It just shoved him away from me. And uh, a better way was spending time in the water with the people I love, surfing and talking to them and, and being able to share what Jesus had done in my life. Now, if you're getting into a conversation where the question says, how can you share the Bible with someone to keep shutting you out? If you're talking about someone else like a, that's a maybe a Christian or Jesus follower, that's a different question. But I assume you're talking about people that don't go to church. They're probably not Christians. And so the church, the early church, here's something to remember. The early church didn't have a New Testament. They didn't have scriptures for almost 300, 350 years. You know, they had, they, but Christianity exploded during those 300 years. Why? Because the stories that were told from one generation to another generation, from them praying for one another, from people seeing the effects that Jesus had in their lives. And so uh, it wasn't dependent solely upon them having a Bible at that time. And, and so uh, I love, don't misunderstand me, I love this, love this book and, and, and love reading it and love seeing what it has to say. And that's where we go to to find out about God and about ourselves and about how we should do life. But, but at the same time, I didn't come to Jesus because someone sold me on the Bible. I came to Jesus because someone took me to Jesus and said, here is who he is and what he's done. And I went, really? And something miraculously changed. So I, I just say, before you get to this, share this that's in your heart through how you are and what Jesus has done in you and through you. And then eventually you'll get around to being able to talk about it. Very cool, very cool. I like that. Share, share Jesus. Live out Jesus before you share the Bible. Okay, who we got? Hey, what's going on? How you doing? What's your name? Noah. Noah, so glad to have you asking a question for us. You're going to ask Pastor Tim this question. I don't remember this one from last service. This is a new one. Here we go. Why do we face peer pressure? Why do we face peer pressure? 
Thump, thump, thump. Ooh, that is a good one. Um, and that is a new question from the first service. Um, uh, good question. Why do we face it? Why do we face peer pressure? Well, I think the better question, or I think the better question really. Let me just ask Tim. Tim, do you have any peer pressure in your life? Uh, during storms, when I'm close to like the yachtsman over mm -hmm. here, that pier, I broke a board on it one time. <laughs> That's a fair amount of pressure. A lot of pressure. The pier. No ways. Well done. That was a good one. Give him a courtesy laugh for that. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I guess as you get older, it becomes less, uh, less of a problem, I suppose. But uh, in your early years, um, it happens a lot. Um, it happens more often than we'd like. And I think the, the better response to that or, or how I would respond to that is who are you spending time with? Who are you putting your uh, social currency on the line with that you're feeling pressure from them? Um, see, if you're, a, if you're a young believer and you're just trying to figure out life, um, oftentimes the most important thing that you need to remember is who are you surrounding yourself with? Are you surrounding yourself with people that value the same things as you, that care about the same things um, that you do, or are you surrounding yourself with people who are the opposite of that? Now, to be fair, we are called to be in the world and be a part of the lives of people who don't necessarily same, share the same values as us, but it doesn't have to be you lone Christian by yourself in a massive group of people who aren't Christians and you're hanging out with them all the time and you're trying to be an influence, maybe you need to get some Christian friends and bring one of them into your group um, and kind of alleviate some of that peer pressure to kind of do things or be pressured into things that um, aren't necessarily of God or against what you believe you should be doing with your life. Um, so I think it comes down to a question of who you spend time with. Um, and that's, that's why we face it because everybody's preaching something. Every life is preaching something. And so it's either preaching Jesus or something else. Um, so, yeah. I think peer pressure is normal. It's, it's healthy. It's something that we all go through. It's something the disciples went through. Um, I, th I think it's just a matter of, um, you know, who has the most influence. Uh, for the last seven, eight months, my favorite verse has been 2 Corinthians 4, 5. And it says that we don't preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus is Lord and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. And so what I see in that, of course, for pastors is serving the church for Jesus' sake, but also it's for being out in the world and saying, hey, I'm going to be your servant, whoever I'm with. For Jesus' sake, I'm going to serve you. And so when that peer pressure comes, I mean, you do it for Jesus' sake, which means you draw a particular you know, conscience, conscience line in your life, but you're doing it for, for Jesus' sake because he loves these people. And so how you, you know, how you befriend them and how you're there for them makes all the difference in the world. I've got a guy that's been telling me for 43 years, if I still believe what I believe now, the next year he'll come to church and listen to the message. It's been 43 years. I'm like, I still believe it, man. You know, when are you coming? You know, when are you going to sit down and let's talk about this? And so you just stay in there. And people are watching and people are listening to you. And uh, just be yourself. And uh, it'll be all right. Hey, good stuff. Peer pressure. I also want to remind everybody if you're if you're a, if you're a, a tweeter and you like to tweet stuff, hashtag student takeover. You can uh, tag at SeacoastVC or SVC students is our student uh, Twitter account. Where, where was I going? I was pointed out to go back here to ask a question from right about here. What's your name? Emma. Miss Emma. Ooh, that's a good one. I do like that one. What's your question? What's your favorite verse? 
What's your favorite verse? What's my favorite verse? Uh, my favorite verse is Ephesians 4.1. I came across it when I was a young lad. I first came to Jesus and I was 14. And um, I was reading in Ephesians and it says, uh, therefore I urge you to lead a life worthing, worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And uh, since that day, I always felt like God wanted me to go into ministry and, and just share his love as best I could. And so I just felt like I needed to try to align my life uh, to something that was worthy of that call. So. I just gave you mine. Mine changes according to the season. <laughs> I'm not that mature yet. Second <laughs> uh, Corinthians 4, 5. We do not preach ourselves. We do not preach ourselves, but Jesus is Lord and ourselves as your bond servants for Jesus' sake. That's my favorite one right now. And I love that because I think it, it's Paul speaking to a church that says, hey, church, you know, I'm coming here, but I'm not preaching who I am. I'm preaching who Jesus is. And, but what I am doing, I'm here to serve you for Jesus' sake. And I think that's a beautiful scripture for anybody serving in the church and, and especially for pastors and people who are out serving to remember you're not preaching yourself that you're preaching someone that can do somebody a lot of good, which is Jesus. So. And we do like people that serve in the church, especially if you want to serve in student ministry. All right, we have a question. Please do. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even have to move for this one. I'm getting a little tired. All right, what's your name? Cherish. Cherish, what's your question for Pastor Tim? How can you get faith the size of a mustard seed? How can you get faith the size of mustard seed? Uh, how can you get faith the size of a mustard seed? It's a great question. Um, I've said that to all of them because they're all great. <laughs> That's how I gather my thoughts before I answer the question. Can't figure that out yet. Uh, so I'm tempted to steal Tim's um, illustration from last service. So um, cherish. Can you do me a favor? Can you go grab a seat over there? That that chair right there. That's awesome. Thanks. Can you grab a seat back over there? Thank you. Well done. Let's give her a hand for doing that. Thank you. All right. And uh, so that was my illustration, and Tim has the interpretation. <laughs> He's the man. <laughs> what? <laughs> this is going to get rowdy by the third service. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> um, well, you just exercised uh, faith the size, you know, the size of a mustard seed because when you got up and you went over to that chair and you sat in it, <laughs> hey, uh, you didn't know that it was going to hold you. You didn't know that it was going to support you, but you assumed that when you went over there. So you took a step of faith. And it, didn't, it doesn't look like much, does it? But you put your rear end on the line <laughs> for that step of faith because if that chair had not held you, you would have been on the floor. And so when Jesus says things like, um, you know, if you have the, just enough faith like a mustard seed, you can move mountains. Um, Jesus has used exaggeration uh, during when they told stories during biblical times to make a point. And so the people would remember. They would remember uh, what was said. And so Jesus is saying, look, it doesn't take that much faith to take a step that makes a big difference. And just like that 
that wasn't much. Just get up and go and sit. And so, so it isn't following Jesus. Sometimes it's just a small step across the room to say hello to someone and thinking maybe God is impressed upon me. The Holy Spirit is impressed upon me to go over and to say hello, to be nice to someone, maybe to pray for them. Maybe God just, you go, I don't know why I feel like I need to go pray for this person. And you take that one little step of faith, and that's all it takes is the step of faith to go over and to speak to them. And suddenly someone's life can be changed or suddenly something can be put in motion that maybe you'll never see, but their life will be affected by it from your prayer, from your kindness. And so all of us here have that much faith. God has given us all enough faith to get up and go to that chair and have a seat in it. So all of you have enough faith. You have mustard seed faith to step out and do something. So that's my take on it. That's it. Yeah, I was just going to add to that. I mean, every single, that's exactly what I was going to say, every single one of you has that, that opportunity, that, that spark of, of faith inside of you to be able to do amazing things uh, for the kingdom of God. Even here in this context, in this church, there are people here right now um, that God is calling uh, to do amazing and wonderful things um, for his kingdom. And it just takes this much. It just takes this much, and then God shows up and does what he does best, which is be awesome and make it about him. So keep that in mind. So good. So good stuff. Dang. That's good. That's good. I know. I can't believe believe you jacked his example and then made him. Anyway, um, at first service when when Pastor Tim did that little little demonstration, it was like a mind grenade in my mind. I was like, that's awesome. I've never seen that before. It rocked out for me. So I got something out of it if no one else did. Good job. All right. All right. We're going to move over here to, we got a lot of questions right in this this area. Can I ask your name? Alyssa. Hi, Alyssa. What kind of question do you have for Pastor Tim? How do you know the Bible's true? How do you know the Bible's true? We want to ask you real easy stuff. <laughs> do you know what I think about that? It's a great question. A great question. <laughs> I really do. Oh, man. Um, well, I think last service we were kind of trying to dial in um, to what, what we mean when we say, how do we know the Bible is true? Um, true in the sense of, does what it say make sense with reality? Or true in the sense that, is it what happened back then? Is it a true recording, authentic uh, recount of what happened during the life and times of Jesus? Um, so to the second part, or actually I'll go with the first part. I'll let Tim do the second part. Um, first part, uh, I'm going to go on the more personal level. How do I know that the Bible is true? Well, I know that it's true because I've experienced it being true. Uh, as I began to read and study God's word and, and follow out the things that he said, um, the A plus B equals C of the Bible made sense to me, and it actually worked. If I take care of people, and I love on people, and I um, seek after God and the things that he's asked me to, um, the results are the same, that I share love of Christ with somebody, and they genuinely uh, want to know more. They want to see what Christ is about. They will know us by the way that we love each other. Right? People have come to know Christ because of the way that we love each other. That's in the Bible. That's true because it is congruent with reality. Does that make sense? It's kind of weird, but in a sense, when I came to be a Christ follower, what, what challenged me about the Bible originally was, well, who reads this stuff? Like, who, who really pays attention to what's going on in here? But the more I dialed in and the more I paid attention to it, the more it was adding things to my life that were a benefit. They were adding things to my life that were helping me to grow as a believer um, and so what made it true was that it made sense, and it fixed, and it, and it helped, and it healed, and it brought healing to my life. Um, 
So the proof is in the pudding, as they say. Ken. <laughs> uh, years ago, there was a comedian down in one of the clubs on the south end of the beach in one of the strip clubs that called, uh, well, actually, his sister called me up and said, would you go visit him in the hospital? He's dying. And um, so I went in to visit him and, and walked into the room and was just, his name was Jay, and um, walked in and found out he, had, he was green. Liver was failing, and uh, you know he was a comedian. He lived his whole life telling jokes in bad places all over the world. And and uh, I started talking to him, and and he said, "Yeah." He said, "You know what happened yesterday?" He says, "They told me I was going to die," and so I kind of laid my head down. Everybody left the room, and he said, "I I saw this glow in the room, and I raised my head up, and there was a glow at the end of my bed." And and I said, "Wow, what was that? Who was that?" He said, "Man." When you raise up out of your bed and you see a glow at the end of your bed, you know who it is. <laughs> I laughed. He said, it was Jesus. And then he started crying, and he said that, now the story's going somewhere. He said, uh, he said he, I said, what did he say to you? What did he say to you? He said, well, first I said, Jesus, I don't deserve for you to be here. I, I just don't deserve for you to be here. I've told dirty jokes all over the world, made my living at this, and uh, you shouldn't be here. And he said, Jesus said, it's all right. I said, what else? He said, that's all he said. <laughs> I said, what did you get from that? He said, I, I got from it that somehow through Jesus, uh, because I saw him, because I believe him, it was all right. Not all the things I did were all right, but I'm all right now. I'm okay. So I said, well, what do you think we should do next? He said, well, I don't have much time left. I'd like to read the Bible. So I got him a Bible, gave him a Bible, and I would go pick him up every day, and we'd go back to his, uh, not that I went to the place. <laughs> he, wouldn't even, he didn't even want me to drive up in front of the place. He was like, I'll meet you the next block. He could hardly walk, and he says, I don't want anybody seeing the pastor pull up at a strip club. And I said, well, they talk about pastors anyway. Let me just pull up there and, and uh, get him. But we went over to, uh, went to his apartment, and I gave him the Bible, prayed with him, and I said, I'll come back next week, and let's talk about what you read. Came back the next week. He's shaking his head. I go, what's wrong? He said, man, that is the weirdest book I've ever read in my life. He says, I said, where did you start? Well, page one. He said, it's a book, isn't it? And, uh, and Genesis blew his mind. He just couldn't wrap around it. You know, the book itself is a really wonderful book. And how do I know it's true? I think a better question is, how do you know it's reliable? How do you know you can rely on some of the things that it says, that it tells us about? It tells us about Jesus, God's great love. It tells us... Uh, about a way of living it tells us how to deal with one another in the church and in the world how do we know about the reliability and one big thing is like Doug said it's it's he's experienced it he's he's living it out he's trying to live his life according to what he reads in here because we believe this is our manual for how we live another thing is that if you just start doing some study you realize that there are more manuscripts if I'm recalling correctly there are way more than 5,000 manuscripts that uh, confirm what's said in here. And you guys know who Aristotle is, philosopher? You're old enough now to know who he is? Well, I think there's like five, five or six manuscripts written something like 1,400 to 1,900 years after his life. But we believe everything that Aristotle says, but we have over 5,000 manuscripts, some of them written within 100 years of Jesus' life. And to me, that says to me, I should take a look at this. If there's that many manuscripts, and they're continuing to find them. 
I mean, he just found more not long ago, and they're continuing to find more. One other thing, uh, because I think this is important, is people, there have been people who have doubted and attacked the Bible. There was a guy named William Ramsey you know, from Great Britain who, when he read the Bible, he read the, the Gospel of Luke, and he especially read the book of Acts that Luke wrote. He said, there are too many historical details uh, and uh, towns named and distances and all kind of things in the book of Acts for this to be true. I don't believe in God anyway. I'm an atheist. But he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go over to the Holy Land, and I'm going, he was an archaeologist, I'm going to dig, and I'm going to disprove the book of Acts. So William Ramsey went over to the Holy Land and spent, I'm talking, decades digging, 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 digging. And I have forgotten now how many years it was into his digging that uh, finally his letters home are just amazing to read because you can see his heart begin to change because the more he dug to try to disprove uh, the book of Acts in the Bible, the more it became obvious that it became reliable. By the time he finished digging, he was a Christian. He wrote back home that he was convinced that the book of Acts was historically accurate. And so, therefore, he started putting some dependence and faith and credence into the stories that are in the book of Acts, which tell the story of Jesus and who he is. Sir William Ramsey, he is a Sir William Ramsey. He was knighted after that, uh, after all of his work. He's a very brilliant man. And so you read stories like that, and you go, hmm, maybe I ought to take a look at this and just see what it has to say. Reliable. Good question. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, His and answer I was, was better. I w what's that? His answer was better. Yeah, it was pretty good. It's pretty good stuff. It, ac it actually did, and I was telling for a service this, it reminded me because I had a uh, conversation with my, with, uh, my brother-in-law a couple days ago, and he asked the same question. How do we know the Bible is true? I'm going to move out of the way here. How do we know the Bible is true? And I was just kind of going into more what Doug said about experience and that kind of stuff. But, but realizing that it was three to 400 years before we had the Bible as we have it today after the life of Jesus. That means there, were, there was Christianity. There was, like Tim said, an explosion of Christianity for hundreds of years before the Bible as we know it existed. It's about Jesus. It's the, the Bible doesn't make Jesus true. Jesus makes the Bible true. All right, I'm going to come to you, man, and try and get out of the way of feedback. Oh, oh, that's a simple question. Okay. What's your name, bud? Seckle. Seckle. What's your question for Pastor Tim? Where did God come from? Where did God <laughs> come from? Doug, you're special to that. Okay. That's a really, 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 really great question. <laughs> um. Okay. I'm going uh, on Twitter. Go ahead. Yeah. A, Tim, I got this. You can sit down if you want. Um, all right. So here's the deal. Uh, this is what I've always thought of um, when it comes to uh, the existence of God. Um, they call it the great uncaused cause. Okay. If you keep going back, uh, let's just take my parents, for instance. So my parents, then my grandparents, right? My parents came from my grandparents. Uh, then my grandparents came from their parents, who would be my great grandparents, right? And we can just keep going down, just keep going down the line, right? Eventually, we got to get to something, right? Just somebody came from something, somebody came from something, somebody came from something. Well, we know that the universe and the earth and all of that came from nothing. Like, it had a starting point, okay? So, it comes, begs the question, what caused all of this? What was the original cause? It had to be something that wasn't caused, the uncaused cause. Does that make sense? 
And that's a very, very basic version of how you would begin to explain and unpack the uh, defense of the existence of God. Um, so that's kind of where I go with that in that sense. Um, and uh, I kind of always thought of the reverse of that. Like, let's just say uh, total random happenstance, just a big bang explosion, everything's here. Um, there is no, in, uh, oh, let me pause for a second, I gotta collect my thoughts. Okay, big bang explosion, correct? I always thought of it like um, a tornado ripping through a junkyard, right? Tornado rips through, right? Goes through the whole thing. And then when the dust clears, uh, that tornado produced uh, this beautiful, fully functioning Boeing 747 jet. It's kind of odd, right? If you were to walk up to that particular site and see this massive, wonderfully beautiful, built, complex machine that works, your first thought is somebody designed that. It screams of intelligence design. In an intelligent creation screams of an intelligent design. Um, and so those are very basic versions of kind of the arguments for why God exists, but the complicated, insanely minute details of our universe and our human body and how we're made and all that, all screams of an intelligent being, an intelligent creator behind um, what was done. You see my watch on my wrist? Uh, if you look at a beautiful, complex watch, you, you automatically know that somebody made that. It wasn't an accident. Um, so that's kind of the ideas that I run along when I argued for Jesus and yeah. God. That, that's great. That's excellent. And I don't have a whole lot to add to that. That, uh, for personally speaking, I never had much of a struggle be not believing that there was some intelligent force behind all that we see, mainly because I was out in the water all the time. I love the outsides, and I'm a musician, and I love music, and I know what it can do to you. And, and always thinking of the complexities of nature as well as the beauty of music and how it affects us and all, thinking of all of that for my whole life, it's like there's got to be some master behind all of this. How does this all happen? So if you want to look at two terms, these are big terms. One's called cosmological. There's like these cosmological reasons that says how can something come from nothing unless the the something that's there before the something out of nothing is bigger than the nothing. <laughs> you know, where, where some something's got to be there. Some, I mean, well, how does it happen? And when I have my little Twitter debates with uh, my atheist friends, and if you're listening, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. <laughs> and uh, when we are talking about it, that I always go back to that. Just help me understand. And they always tell me, they're like, we don't know. We just don't know. And I'm just like, I know. And you, you have fashioned out a belief that says you can't believe in God. I said, but for me, it's a logical step to go. This, you know, there, a God does exist. Now, where did he come from? If we look at the scripture, back Moses, um, Moses was, you know, getting the children of Israel out of, uh, uh, out of uh, Egypt, and they went to Pharaoh, and Moses wanted to know, he wanted a little name clout. He wanted to say, who's sending me? So he said, God, who should I say is telling me to, let the children of Israel go because there's a lot of gods around here, you know, and which one's telling me? And God told him, he said, tell him that I am sent you and said to let my people go. Well, that's a strange name. Your name's, I told the first service, isn't that a dog food? I am. But, uh, you know, it's like, <laughs> we think, what? Uh, but what I'm hearing in that is that God was just saying to Moses, listen, I have always been. I am. And some translations say it, I am that I am. You know, I am that I am. I have always existed, therefore I am. 
But that makes sense to me that there is some creative genius, powerful genius that controls it all, put all of this in motion. I mean, this complexity of the world and, the, and just our universe, much less all the universes and and even your eye, if you ever do a study of your eye and you're looking at the eye, who could design this and how could it happen and keep everything in balance? Uh, there should be a God. There should be a divine creator somewhere. And if I understood who he was, then I would be God. But I don't understand him. I cannot prove that he exists as far as... But I think there is enough, again, reliable information to make the step of faith to say that there is a divine creator and he has always existed. That gives me great comfort to know that as well. Hold on, I'm tweeting out that you can argue on Twitter with Pastor Tim. <laughs> Thanks a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Students, you get that, you can argue with Tim. That's true. But no, that, that's, uh, that's a good answer. I know uh, one of my favorite one of my favorite phrases from a book by Lee Strobel called A Case for a Creator um, is the phrase irreducible complexity. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to, I don't know what that means. I just never get to say it. So <laughs> it's too complex. Irreducible <laughs> complexity. This sounds cool. All right. Look it up. Th that'll, that'll shut someone up if they're asking about where did God come from. All right. Um, no, no, that's good stuff. Good stuff. All right. We got time for at least one more, maybe two more questions. I'm going to the back row here. What's your name? Alexa, what's your question for Pastor Tim? How do you know Christianity is the right religion? How do you know Christianity is the right religion? Mm. It is. It is a good one. You know how I feel about that question. All right. Um, how do we know that Christianity is the right religion? How do we know that Christianity is the right religion? Well, I think we have to start in a different spot um, to answer that question. Um, religion, essentially, is, is the system in which man created to worship God. And I'm not just talking about Christianity. I'm talking about if you believe there's a God, we create a system around worshiping him and, and learning from him and all that. So how do we know that Christianity is the right one? Um, well, again, if I were having this conversation with non-believers, which I have on numerous occasions, most recently, even just this summer, um, I was meeting every week with a friend of mine, and um, this, com this question came up. And when I thought about it for a moment, I, okay, how am I going to answer this question? How do I know that I'm right? Well, I don't even really think it's about being right. Um, I think it goes back to what is true. What is true? And, and I had to go back to what, what they call your testimony. What happened when I encountered the good news of the gospel? Um, what was that like? What, what did it do um, in my life that made me understand and realize this is God speaking to his creation? This is God talking to his children, his family, saying, look, Jesus, I am, I am God in the flesh, and I am here to show you the heart of God. I don't know if you all remember a sermon I did with a couple of months ago, but Jesus was the representation of the Father. And so if there is a God out there um, and Jesus is his representation, um, as I engaged with that gospel message, as I began to let it uh, get into my soul, um, it changed me. It transformed my life. I was a different person from one side to the other. And so when I think, okay, well, which one is right and which one is wrong, honestly, you do have to search it out. You, you, ha you can't just say, okay, they're all wrong because I grew up in church. God's a big God. He can hang with you through your doubt. 
he can hang with you through the fact that you want to go search things out. But I honestly truly believe that the truth of the gospel, what we believe in our hearts, if you're a believer, um, is that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets to the Father but through him. But you have to experience that. You have to walk through it. You have to wrestle with it. You have to let God deal with you um, because no one can go up to you and say, this is the right religion. Because you haven't haven't experienced it. You haven't walked through it. Um, You can give them the good news, but they have to experience that internal call from God. And so my challenge, um, I guess, in that question is, how do you know it's right? (laughs) Search it out. I know God's big, and I know he'll talk to you, and I know he'll lead you to where you need to be. Uh, for me, it, it's a sensible religion, if you want to call it a religion. Having, before I was a follower of Jesus, I had looked into Buddhism. I'm not sure if it's and, me or uh, Buddhism, and then at, right at the time that I met Jesus, I, it was this is a real kind of esoteric, but I had read it was the oldest religion, so I thought if it's the oldest, it's got to be the bestest you know, so Zoroastrianism, I was looking at Zoroaster and, and some of his teachings because it was supposed to be old because I believe there was, there was a creator. But then when my friend at that surfing contest shared Jesus with me and simply laid out the plan, do you feel that you are disconnected between, from your creator? I said, yeah, I do. I feel like there is a creator. I don't know how to get to him. The, and he explained that Jesus was the bridge I began to think through the process of going, okay, that makes sense. There's got to be some way to get to God because I wouldn't have this hunger in my heart to know if if there wasn't a way to get there. And when he laid it out that Jesus came and he was the bridge for me to get back to my creator so I could really see life the way I was always intended, it made sense to me. Was it the right one? It made sense to me. It Things have to make sense to me for me to really be able to embrace them. And, and I embrace that. And I'll, I can tell you, from it's been 43 years now. And it makes more, not that there's not a ton of mystery in all of this, but it still makes sense to embrace this and give my life to it even more so now, 43 years later, than it did all the way back on May 1st, 1971. So it's reliable. It makes sense, and uh, once you have experienced it, it's like C.S. Lewis said that you you can't really experience some things without surrendering first, and so you keep waiting to experience it, and you never will till you surrender, and then you get to see the art. But art, a building of a piece of art like your life, it has to have surrender in it, or you never get to see it, and so... Good stuff. Good stuff. All right, we got one more question, and uh, we saved one of the hardest, one of the most theological in-depth questions that uh, the students came up with for the end here. What's your name? Nadia. Nadia, what's your question for the pastors? Why are we called a vineyard if we are not a grapevine? Why are we called? Now, you may have to really think on this one. Yes, why are we called a vineyard? Um, well, it comes actually from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah, verse chapter 27, verse, what is it, Tim? Some, uh, three? Sorry. Five, three. Three, right? Five, three. Let's all turn there, everybody. Get your Bibles <laughs> out. Isaiah 27, verse, verse three. Three. Yeah. 
the tension builds. Spend too much time in the Old Testament. What will it say? Stuck together. <laughs> All right, Isaiah 27, verse, what is it, 5? 3. 3. <laughs> I've only been in Vineyard for like a year, okay? <laughs> He's been doing this for 43 years. Okay, um, Isaiah 27, verse 3. I, the Lord, watch over it. Oh, no, sing about a fruitful vineyard. I, the Lord, watch over it. I water it continually. I guard it day and night so that no one may harm it. Yeah, that's the scripture that Ken Gullickson, uh, one of the first vineyards up around Los Angeles, that was a scripture that he felt like God had given him. And John Wimber, too, the founder of the vineyard, that uh, that God would care for this thing called the vineyard, the big group of, there's like 600 of us in America and another like 900 to 1,000 churches overseas or more now. And uh, that God would birth the movement of churches that God himself would care for and that he would take care of it and protect it. And so that's where the name Vineyard came from. It's Isaiah 23, 27, verse 3. Yeah. I haven't looked at that in a long time. So. <laughs> we will be doing Bible drills later for Pastor <laughs> Tim and Pastor Doug. Give them a hand for answering questions from our students. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast from Seacoast Vineyard Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We look forward to you joining us next time on iTunes or at our website, www.seacoastvineyard.com.